All right. Good morning once again. Uh, thank you. Um, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. But people call me DC, so you guys can feel, uh, feel free to call me DC. Uh, we're going to continue our worship by reading God's Word. So if you can turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Uh, we have a lengthy passage today, verses 21 through 43. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so if you have your app, you can go uh, and turn to the ESV. If you don't have your Bibles or your apps, it's going to be up on the PowerPoint for you guys to follow along. Uh, now, Jesus is uh, fresh off the boat um, from, no pun intended, uh, from a healing uh, of a man possessed by a multitude of demons. Um, they called him Legion. Uh, but the way that Jesus healed this man was, uh, was quite jarring and disruptive. Uh, he allowed the demons to be casted into a herd of pigs, and those pigs then plunged themselves into the sea. Um, thousands of uh, pigs and thousands of dollars going down the drain. Uh, and so this was a, a huge, uh, amazing miracle, but it was quite disruptive for the community. Uh, even though this man was um, known to be demon-possessed, and, and people knew of this man, and, and Jesus performed this amazing miracle of restoring and redeeming this man, they asked Jesus to leave because they were afraid that something similar will happen to their business. Um, even though the Savior was within their presence, because they value their, their capital assets more, they asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus agrees, and he, he was once on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now he's on the western shore. And immediately as he gets off the boat, he's confronted by a man with a, a devastating crisis. Uh, and actually, we're going to see not one, but two uh, very difficult cir circumstances and situations uh, from two different individuals. So let's give our full attention as I read God's holy word for us, starting at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one, uh, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman, excuse me, who had, uh, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, uh, You see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked, looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion and people people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, 
which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. I'm so sorry to do this again, but can someone get me a Kleenex? Thank you so much. Um, this passage is very relevant for me because I need some healing. I've been sick for about the last two weeks. Uh, this is a very uh, amazing passage. And, and those of us who grew up in the church um, probably heard the story of Jairus' daughter and this bleeding woman. Um, and part of the struggle when we read passages like this is it, the fact that it seems pretty far removed from our reality. Uh, it sounds like a fairy tale, something that happened way back when, but these things don't happen in our lives today. Right? There's no relevance and, and life application for us. And so the temptation for us is just to tune out, right? Just to tune out because this sounds like a fairy tale. And uh, this sentiment, I, I, I understand. I understand the sentiment because there are many of us here sitting right now that's going through some very difficult circumstances, uh, things that I can't even imagine. Thank you so much. There are some of us here that have been in drawn-out seasons of discouragement, depression, and dissatisfaction. Uh, and there's no uh, end to our pain and suffering in the immediate future. Uh, there are those of us uh, right now who are physically suffering. Um, your body is failing you. Uh, there are others of us here where your loved ones are terminally ill, uh, and there is no, no cure. Uh, some of us, wow, look at this love. I'm getting so much love right now. Um, there are others of us who are, our pain and, and our struggle comes from our academics. Uh, it can come from our relationships. Um, it can be professionally. Uh, we're just struggling and we're in pain. Uh, our marriages are failing us. Our children are rebelling. Uh, maybe for others, it's our sin that is plaguing us. It's an addiction that we just cannot shake off. So how do we make sense of today's passage in light of all that's happening in our lives? All the pain and suffering that we're enduring. Why does our life not bear the same results as Jairus' daughter or even this bleeding woman? Right? I, I go to church. I I give money, I, I serve occasionally, I go to small group, I do these religious things, but why does, not, why does my life not yield uh, the results that we read about in Scripture? Why is there such a great degree of separation between what we read in the Gospels and our lives today? And these are some very difficult questions that, that there's no easy answer. I'm not going to try and explain your suffering, but what I'm going to try to do is convince you that this word is relevant and there is applications for us today. And my prayer this week has been for the Holy Spirit to truly convict us, to help us to see the gospel once again, the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ. Because today we see two very different individuals. Their positions are different. Their approach and path to healing is different. Even their faith is expressed differently. But what we see, what they share in common, is they have the same Savior. They encounter the same Jesus, and their lives are transformed forever. So first, I want to look at Jairus. Who was he? Verse 22, then came, a, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, 
Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. A ruler of the synagogue was in charge of maintenance, security, and making sure the worship was done in an orderly fashion. You can think of him as a chief of operations. The chief of operations. You can think of possibly Pastor Mike and Dad combined. That, that was his responsibility for the synagogue. He was a man of good repute, uh, respected. Uh, he was a man of influence. He was well-known in the community. Uh, he was probably revered amongst his peers. This was Jairus. And he probably had ran into Jesus several times in the synagogue. He probably heard about Jesus, maybe even witnessed some of his miracles. And so he runs and falls at the feet of Jesus because his, da- his daughter is dying. Literally, last, last moments of life on the deathbed. And he asked Jesus to touch, lay hands, which was a very common request back in, this day, uh, back in Jesus' day. If someone was sick, we would request an elder or leader of the church to lay hands to to pray and and hope for healing. So the request wasn't actually all that astonishing. What's astonishing here is the confidence that Jairus had. Uh, Look at the language. If you come, my daughter will be made well. Right? Tremendous act of faith. And he just falls at Jesus' feet and begs him, if you come, please come, my daughter will be made well. And knowing the urgent situation, Jesus doesn't waste any time. He's, he agrees. He, he starts walking towards Jairus' house. And we are told that the cro- crowd thronged about him. They just kept pressing in on him. And this is a very common thing that the crowd is known to do in Jesus' ministry. It's just a crowd. But this was a very unique situation because the crowd has witnessed some amazing miracles. Jesus cleansed a, 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 a man who had leprosy. He casted out demons. He even healed a paralytic, making him walk again. Uh, he also healed a man with a withered hand. So these were amazing miracles, but they never witnessed Jesus healing some, someone on the brink of death. So they wanted to get the best seat in the house. So they started thronging about Jesus, crowding about him, stride for stride, wanting to get the best position to witness this miracle. And on the way to Jairus' house, with the crowd thronging about him, he is abruptly and inconveniently interrupted by another crisis. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Do you notice the difference? This woman, unlike Jairus, is unnamed. She's nameless. We don't know anything about her except for her physical condition. Her illness was very unique. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's exhausted all her resources. She spent all her money to consult with doctors to figure out what was wrong, to get a cure. Instead of getting better, she actually grew worse for 12 years. Not only is her physical condition horrible, But her condition made her a social outcast. It made her a social outcast. She was lonely, hopeless because of this condition. Why? Why was this socially and spiritually so difficult for her? Because the law in Leviticus, the Levitical law, required a woman after her period to to stay away from the place of worship for seven days. Right? 
because she was unclean during her period and seven days after her period. Now you may think, man, this is very primitive and, and why, is, why, why is such a bias towards women? Right? It's unfair. Why seven days after? Now we got to remember that they didn't have the same hygienic products as we do today. The reason for this law that we see in Leviticus is so that no contagion will be transferred to another individual. It was for sanitary purposes. Actually, men had similar regulations and laws uh, for them as well. So for seven days, a woman had to stay away because she was unclean during those seven days, and then she's able to enter back into the place of worship. But for seven days, she's unclean. Not only that, if anyone came in contact with this woman, she would be, they would be unclean as well. Twelve years of bleeding, of hemorrhaging. Twelve years of being unclean. Twelve years of not being able to contact with anyone else. Imagine the shame, the guilt, the loneliness this woman must have felt. Twelve years, ostracized, lonely, hopeless to experience the presence of God. See, the author wants us to see the stark contrast between these two individuals. They can't be any more different. Jairus has position and influence. This woman is an outcast, unknown, a nobody. However, what they have in common is this truth. They came, they both came to an end of themselves. They were reminded of their limitations and the frailty of human life. And God today wants to remind us of our limitations and the frailty of our lives. See, brothers and sisters, friends, many of us think we are in control of our lives. Right? We live in a world that tells us that we can have our destiny, our fate in our own hands. We can control what our lives look like. Right? We, live in, we live in America where anything is possible. Not only that, we live in Southern California. We have the best food. We have the best weather. We have the best opportunities, the best fashion, right? We live in, in paradise, in SoCal. It's easy for us to block out this world. It's easy for us to just be enthralled and just, just in this bubble of Southern California. And we could trick ourselves in thinking that actually our lives are good, perfect, and we have full control over it. See, the comfort of this life can lull us into this weird belief that we are sovereign, that we are in control. Right? We live in a culture that believes in self-actualization, where we can create our own world, your own identity, and achieve anything you want. And some of us, many of us, have actually achieved things. We've uh, succeeded. We have beautiful families. We have great paying jobs. And then we start believing that we are actually in control. Right? Right? But this control is only an illusion. Inevitably, we'll come to our end. We'll reach our limit. And we'll experience helplessness like these two individuals. See, Jairus and this woman both came to the end of themselves and out of desperation sought out Jesus. See, the secular world, atheists, naturalists, Right? They, they say things like this. See, pain and suffering is inco incompatible with a good God. Right? It's incompatible with faith in a good God. Why would God allow pain and suffering in this world? Now, again, there is no simple answer to this. But think about it for a second. Pain and suffering tells us something about this world that we live in. It tells us that this world needs healing. 
redemption, salvation. Here's another thought. What if nothing wrong happened in our lives? What if our lives were perfect? What would then happen? We would think we were God. We would think that I would think I'm a God. If nothing ever wrong happened in my life, I would think I was in control, that I was sovereign, that I was God himself. We'll be self-sufficient in ourselves and we want to seek out a God. See, our pain isn't purposeless. Rather, it's quite the opposite. It's purposeful. It reminds us that the world is imperfect and that we ourselves are limited. We are finite. But it also can bring us to the feet of Jesus. Pain and suffering points us to a God who offers healing and redemption. Tim Keller, in reflecting upon Martin Luther's theology of suffering, makes this amazing observation. The quote's going to go up. This is what he says. Suffering dispels the illusion that we have the strength and competence to rule our own lives and save ourselves. People become nothing through suffering so that they can be filled with God and his grace. In other words, you don't, really, you don't know really Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Sometimes God is trying to get our attention with pain. Sometimes we need to hit rock bottom in order for us to look up to God. I don't wish for anyone to suffer or experience pain, but if it leads us to the feet of Jesus, I think that is grace. And I think that is one one way that God truly reaches out to us. See, many of us, we are in the midst of difficult circumstances and we're looking, we're looking for and searching for a solution. And the first place that we look for is in ourselves. See, Jairus had position and status. That didn't save his daughter. This woman had wealth and resources. She spent it all. Nothing helped. We think if we can get more status, more position, if we can mount more resources, then we can actually fix ourselves, save ourselves. See, at best, what we can do, temporarily we can change our circumstances, temporarily. But eventually, tragedy, struggle, death is inevitable. The gospel does not promise to change our circumstances. Please listen carefully. The gospel does not promise to change our circumstances, but rather it seeks to redirect our confidence. The gospel wants to redirect our confidence. Is your confidence in your circumstances to change it? Is your hope and your faith based on your circumstances, your situations, or is it based and founded in Christ? Jairus and this woman realized Jesus was all they had and actually all they needed. How about you for today? See, not only are their positions and status different, but even their approach to Jesus is so different. Jairus goes directly to Jesus with full confidence. If you come, my daughter will be healed. What does this woman do? Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She sneaks up from behind the crowd. You have to remember this woman is a woman of shame and guilt, ostracized, isolated, 
what she does is, is tremendously bold. To enter into the place that, that, that is filled, like for her, it's fearful to be amongst people. But she enters the crowd and she thinks, all I need to do is touch the tassel of his robe and I'll be healed. Now you may think at first glance that this is, this is an amazing act of faith. But actually, it's a little bit superstitious too. Because it was known back in this day that rulers, emperors had the power. If you just touch the the seas or if you touch someone of influence, then you will be blessed, right? So there may have been some superstition in this woman thinking that if she can just touch the tassel of Jesus' robe, she'll be made well, right? Alexander the Great was often mobbed by crowds because people thought if I can just touch him, I'll I'll be blessed. The woman touches Jesus and she's healed. She's healed. And what happens next is a bit bizarre. Verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. How did this woman extract power from Jesus? Does she have uh, rogue's power from the X-Men? I don't know if you guys know that reference. It's it's, it's a bit weird, right, that that power would actually be extracted from Jesus. What's going on here? And Jesus is oblivious, right? Isn't Jesus God? How how, how does he not know who touched him? How do we explain this? We know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, now, as human beings, we we can't wrap our minds around this, but we see that Jesus in certain situations, exercise divine authority. He has divine knowledge. He knows uh, what people are thinking. He knows what's within the hearts of individuals. But there are other instances where he actually doesn't know. He, he actually uh, d- does not exercise his divine power. And this is, this is that instance. He does not know who touched him. And for the disciples, this was a ridiculous question. The crown is thronging about you. What do you mean who touched you? Everyone is touching. Everyone is up in your business. What's, Jesus, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Right? But this woman's touch was different than everyone else's touch. This, this woman's touch was a touch of faith. Even though her faith was undeveloped, incomplete, inadequate, even mixed in with some superstition, God in his sovereign grace allowed power to be extracted from Jesus to heal this woman. That is how we explain this. God, in his sovereign grace and kindness, healed this woman, even with this faith that was undeveloped, incomplete, and inadequate. Church, please listen very carefully. Because some of you think that, that the strength of your faith is actually what saves you. That is not true. It isn't the strength of our faith that saves us, but rather the strength of our Savior. The sufficient strength of our Savior is what saves us. Even the weakest, undeveloped faith placed in a sufficient Savior can save you. This woman had little knowledge and understanding of who Jesus was. All she knew is, maybe if I touch him. Because she probably heard of what Jesus was able to do. If I just touch him, maybe then I'll be healed. She acted upon that little faith, an undeveloped, weak faith that she had. She went up to Jesus, even though it was risky, And it can cost her more shame if she got exposed. She touched him. 
She heard about Jesus. She went to Jesus, and she touched Jesus. This is discipleship in a nutshell. She heard about Jesus. She went to Jesus, and she touched Jesus. That is what it means for us to be a disciple. It's not just hearing about him, guys. It's about going to him and wanting to encounter him and then to touch him. And 12, year, 12 years of illness is healed by one touch. But Jesus isn't done with her yet. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, without this exchange, the woman would have left healed, but not made whole. She would have been healed of her illness, but she would not have been made whole. Jesus seeks her out not to expose her, not to shame her more, not to give her more guilt, but to make her whole. Right? In order to fix the real problem, the real problem of her condition, which was broken relationship with God. That was, that was the biggest issue here. It was her broken separation from God. See, the point of the gospel, the reason why Jesus came wasn't to fix just our physical condition, but it's to give us, but rather to make us right for God, right with God for eternity. Jesus, Jesus utters a, a word that this woman needed to hear the most, daughter, daughter, an outcast, a woman filled with shame and guilt, unable to worship God, separated from God, now becomes a daughter of God. See, for some of us, our approach to religion is stretching out our arms, wanting to be blessed with health, wealth, and prosperity. We're wanting a divine handout. What we see in the gospel is God extending his arms to us, wanting to embrace us, to make us his own. See, in, relation, in religion, relationship with God is a means to a reward, Right? If I do these things for God, if I'm good before God, then I'll get blessed, I'll get wealth, I'll get prosperity. In the gospel, however, the relationship is the reward. That is the reward. That is the blessing. But so often, we're, we're, we're wanting to do religion. We, we want a cosmic vending machine. So we, we, we put on a show for God so that, so that he'll give us something. Rather, the gospel is God wanting to embrace us, to make us his own. That is what we were created for. That was God's intentional uh, intent in creating us. And so what Jesus does is restore that original purpose by calling this shameful, sinful woman a daughter. God's objective, God's objective isn't to fix parts of us, but to make us whole again. This, the woman's spotty faith placed in a sufficient Christ, not only healed her physically, physically, but renewed her spiritually. Jairus, amazing faith. This woman, a spotty faith. But it didn't matter. It's because it's the strength of our Savior, the sufficient Christ that saves us. See, there are some of us that believe that we need to amass for ourselves enough faith, and even if we have enough faith, we want to strengthen that faith, Right? 
We need that in order for God to accept us and to save us. That is a flawed understanding. God accepts even our weak, frail understanding of who Christ is because the power is not found in ourselves but in Jesus. Of the two, Jairus had the stronger faith and yet his miracle was delayed. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came the ruler, uh, from the ruler's house some who, had sa- who, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Your daughter's dead. This woman's interruption led to the death of Jairus' daughter. And our immediate read of this would conjure up feelings of frustration, anger, and disappointment. Jesus, you knew this was urgent. You knew, you knew that you needed to go immediately to my house to heal my daughter. But because you let this woman disrupt and interrupt you, she is now dead. That's exactly how I would have felt if this was my daughter. What are you doing, Jesus? Right? Couldn't this have waited? My daughter's situation is more urgent. Why did you allow this woman to dis- interrupt and disrupt you? Now my daughter is dead. But if we take another look, a careful look at this passage, what does Jairus witness? Jairus witnesses this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, being t- her touching the tassel of his robe, and that healing her immediately. Jairus witnessed this miracle firsthand. A simple touched healer healed her. This bleeding woman was confirmation for Jairus that Jesus had the ability to heal. I believe this stirred up confidence actually in Jairus. We don't know exactly what Jairus' immediate reaction was to this news. We don't know that. We're not given that, right? But I believe because Jairus witnessed this amazing miracle, his confidence in Jesus grew. Jesus simply turns to Jairus and says these amazing words, probably the most difficult words, command, this command for Jairus to hear. Do not fear, only believe. How difficult this command must have been. His daughter was declared dead. Do not fear, only believe. Can you imagine the rest of the walk? The rest of the walk that Jairus had to take. They arrived at the house and the funeral was already underway. There is weeping and mourning. Jesus asked about the commotion, right? He asked about the commotion and Jesus actually tells him, she's not dead, she's actually sleeping. And what does the crowd do? They start laughing at him, mocking him. He tells everyone to leave and he takes Peter, James, and John and, his, and, and, and Jairus and his wife into the room. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age. And they were, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The touch and command of Jesus raised this dead girl to life. They were amazed, but were told not to tell anyone. Why? Why is this? Right? For the demoniac, the one who was possessed by a multitude of demons, he said, hey, go and tell your countrymen what had happened. Here, Jesus says, do not tell anybody. Keep your mouth closed. Why is this? 
The reason, the reason why Jesus told them to be quiet about this is because the people had an understanding of a Messiah that was a little bit flawed. They were thinking about a political leader and ruler. Now, this miracle was very special. This girl was dead. Can you imagine if you, like, in this time, you're waiting for a Savior to come, and you're, in your mind, that Savior was a political leader, and this man named Jesus just healed, he just raised a dead girl back to life. What would, you, what would be your first, first reaction? Make him president. He's, he's, he's the Messiah. We need him to be in office, to give us, to, to save us from Rome, and to, to create for us our own, again, uh, government, establishment. But that's not the mission of Christ. So Jesus tells them, hey, don't tell other people what happened here, because he knew that the people is going to want to make him the king and instead of go to the cross. And so Jesus tells them to be silent. But again, this amazing touch of Jesus, healing this dead girl. And just to make it official, they tell her to give her something to eat. Have you found yourself in this story yet? Have you found yourself in this story? We are the dying daughter and the bleeding woman. We are desperate for the touch of Jesus. But more than trying to find ourselves, I hope, I hope that our focus goes to Jesus. Because again, these two, these individuals can't be any more different. They're so different. But the common denominator is Jesus, his power, his willingness to save, his sufficiency. See, position, stat, positions, status, approach, and strength of faith wasn't the main factor in this story. Rather, it was Jesus. We haven't talked about this yet. But what Jesus does here with Jairus' daughter and this bleeding woman is forbidden. It's forbidden. Remember, if you touch someone that is bleeding, you are unclean. The law for, forbade Jesus for anyone to touch a corpse. But Jesus, again, touches this dead girl. What Jesus does here is, does here is forbidden. But instead of Jesus being contaminated, he cleansed them. He healed them. So what is our application? What is our application for us today? Some of us will experience answers of prayer immediately. And, I, and I've, I've experienced this myself. For others, we'll get a delay of an answer. God will delay in answering our prayer request. But the sad truth, is, sad truth is this. Some of us will never get an answer. It breaks my heart to tell you guys this, but it's true. Some of us will never get that prayer answered. God, please heal my mother of leukemia. Please heal my, heal my father of cancer. Please help my son, help my daughter to be better. Some of us will get an immediate answer. Some of us will get a delayed answer. But on this side of heaven, some of us may never get an answer. So what's our application? Do not be afraid. Only believe. That's our application for us today. Do not fear. Only believe. See, if you're a Christian today, you're living in this in-between time between promise given and promise fulfilled. 
the already but not yet. We are living in this period. We're waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise, which is what? The new heavens and the new earth. No more tears. No more weeping, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more sin. Perfect glorified bodies. That is not a reality for us yet. We're given the promise, but we're still waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. And so in between that time, there's going to be pain and there's going to be suffering. But that suffering is not going to have the last say. Death is not going to have the last word. So what are we going to do in the midst of pain and suffering for us today right now? Do not fear. Only believe. What are we to believe in? Brothers and sisters, what are we to cling to? What is our hope going to be on? Like, what, what's the substance of our hope? What's the substance of our hope? Jairus had the bleeding woman to remind him that Jesus can heal. So it stirred up confidence for the rest of his trek to his house. What's going to get us the rest of the way, guys? What's going to get us the rest of the way until we die or until Jesus Christ comes back? It's Jesus Christ himself but more specifically, the empty tomb. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive today. He conquered sin, Satan, and death. If you look at the tomb, he's not there anymore. He's still alive. Jairus had the bleeding woman. We have something better. We have the resurrected Savior. Our faith unites us to Christ, so much so that we will be resurrected physically. We will experience perfect bodies. Jesus is, for us, the bleeding woman for Jairus. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Only believe in the resurrected Savior. The tomb is empty. Life is eternal. That life is going to be perfect. That is what's going to get us the rest of the way in the midst of pain and suffering that I know you guys are going through right now. Jesus is alive. And by faith, we will live beyond this earth. This is the gospel hope. See, on the cross, he absorbed our uncleanliness and nailed it upon the cross. By his blood, we are clean. But he rose again after three days, giving us his righteous life. The tomb is empty. Death will not have the final word. Let's continue to look at the empty tomb to remind, be reminded of the glory that awaits us. It is this reality of the empty tomb that we can endure and persevere and finish this race till the end. Church, let's respond by only believing in Jesus. He is our sufficient Savior who will preserve us till the end. And for those of us here today who aren't Christians, this promise and hope is yours. It can be yours. We only need to confess our sins and trust in Jesus. If that's you, may you consider him. It is in him that we can experience wholeness, true deep satisfaction. May we do so for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this life-giving word we thank you, Lord, that you are a Savior that wants to come in contact with unclean sinners like me. Not only to touch me, but to absorb my uncleanliness on that cross, but to give us your righteousness. 
to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. God, help us to believe. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here who are are going through very difficult circumstances and and they're trying to do everything that they can to change their circumstances where their hope is in their circumstances I pray Lord that you will redirect their hope and may their confidence be in the resurrected Christ Jesus we need your help God I can't start to imagine what some of us are experiencing but you know you know full and well what they're going through you know that they need you God I believe that you can heal them by your touch you can heal them simply by your word if it's according to your sovereign will may you do so but if not help us Lord to have faith help us to believe in the resurrected life in the resurrection life in the glory that awaits us God, may you send your Holy Spirit now to comfort us, to bring to our minds, to help us to see the empty tomb. Jesus, may you glorify glorify yourselves in us by giving us faith. Help us to be a people of faith. Help us not to be gripped and paralyzed with fear and anxiety and insecurity, but help our confidence be in the finished work of Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for the hope that we have. May you receive the glory as we respond in worship and adoration. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.